hello and welcome to the edition, the final edition podcast of the year. We've almost made it through 2023. Well done, everybody who has not been replaced by a robot. Well done. One person that hasn't been replaced by a robot just yet is my guest today, uh, which is Peter Houston from Media Voices. Hello, Peter. Hello. They'll never replace me with a robot. It seems unlikely. Um, I'm really pleased to have you because we had, obviously, Chris and Esther on for a special crossover episode, but that was only two out of the three. I wanted to round off the year by having the full set. So I've done that now, full house. Great to have you here. And we're just going to have a little chat you know, rounding off what's happened this year, maybe having a little bit look forward to 2024 where people can then hold it against us and tell us why we're wrong. It'll all be a laugh. Right. So it's been quite a frantic year, hasn't it, in media 2023? It's been rather interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Well, the word that comes to mind is shit, sure. Right. <laughs> uh, I think it oh, yeah, I Positivity, think, Peter, positivity. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, I'll be positive. I think... There's more clarity at the end of the year than there was at the beginning of the year. Right. Are we clear on good things or bad things? Um, I think there's a lot of good things out there. You know, we just did that AI conference with MX3. Um, And there was people, you know, obviously there's massive change going on. But I didn't hear people saying <laughs> the robots are going to kill us all. No. Um, the way maybe we did at the beginning of the year. Right. Let, let's drill down on AI because it has been one of the major themes. Uh, your your friend and colleague, Chris, always laughs that on January the 1st, everyone stopped talking about Web3 and started talking about AI. Yeah. And, and it does rather feel like that. So so let's let's join the club and do that. AI has been one of the major themes in media in 2023. And as it has gone on, I've said this loads of times, but I'll just repeat it one last time. My view has hardened that actually what's going to happen is, yes, there will be loads of AI-generated content. That is inevitable. We can't fight that. Some of it might even be good. Lots of it will be dross, but some of it might be good. But what will have real value, and some of I'm saying this some for like personal comfort and also because I genuinely believe it, but human content with personality and human you know credit credible from credible humans properly reported etc 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 will have real added value i think it will mean something to people and people will seek that out as we get more and more ai content yes and i think that's in 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 terms of that clarity that i was talking about I think the conversation at the beginning of the year was, I don't know, people like the guy at Axel Springer saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to do robot news and I'm going to replace yep. some jobs. And now at the end of the year, we're hearing, well, there's there's more journalists going to be hired. The future has just announced that they're going to hire more people. And the conversation now is about um, how do you work with AI? Uh, yeah, I so should say it, for uh, for full disclosure, I do quite a bit of work with future and future brands. So I should say that just as in the ter- oh, names of honesty. Fine. But uh, sorry, continue, Peter. Yeah, I, I think the conversation shifted. Uh, you know, at the beginning, it was all uh, robots are going to replace yeah. journalists. And now the conversation is uh, a journalist working with AI 
will replace a journalist who doesn't touch AI. Yeah. And that's that's a different thing, right? And it's certainly a different thing. And also, again, we have to look at the advantages of that. I've mentioned them before, you know, things like AI tools helping you plow through reams of data that would previously have taken you days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks. Look, the truth is we all kind of use AI anyway. I use, for example, no. Grammarly. Now, as readers will know, that doesn't always stop the typos. But, um, you know, I use tools like that. There's nothing wrong with that. I also do think while you're talking about jobs, there will be some things that do get replaced by AI. The examples I always use are things like basic sports scores reporting. You know, this that happened, this person scored, this was the final result. And probably some basic market news, although obviously that will have to be very carefully checked because you can't get that wrong because of the financial implications of getting market news wrong. But I can see some of those little junior jobs being replaced and the industry is going to have to have a think, isn't it, about how it trains juniors who are not spending their time doing those basic bits of news writing. Definitely. You know, I talk a lot, or I have in the past, about how I learned to be a reporter. And my, the starting point was rewriting press releases. Right. And that's and how... I, I know we you all know joke about it, but that is how you learn to write in an inverted pyramid style. What the yeah. top, uh, blah, 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 blah. Cutting out all the nonsense. So if AI is cutting out the nonsense, then, yeah, the training aspect to that becomes different. But, it, you know, it won't go away. It'll just be different. Yeah. Um, I think the big thing that still looms darkly over the environment is Peter. You did ninety seconds of positive. I'm sorry. Well, I I don't think it's necessarily a negative, but it has to. We have to keep an eye on it, and it's the idea that if the bean counters take over, and purely see AI as a way of cutting headcounts, that's a bad thing. Yeah. Now I was talking to Kevin Donnellan. I interviewed Kevin Donnellan at that that conference. Kevin. Used to work for Meta, worked for Reuters as a fact checker or in their fact checking department. Um, and he was at Storyful. And one of the things that he says is that <laughs> AI actually lets journalists, reporters, editors have a lunch break for the yeah. first time in about 20 years. <laughs> and you know that idea that let's see this as a way of freeing up time rather than reducing resources. So that that's the one thing that I would say I hope people get their head around. This is a way of doing things better rather than a way of doing things cheaper. Yeah, and never mind lunch breaks, which are also nice, but I think it also could free up journalists to spend a bit more time doing deeper reporting instead of having to do more basic stuff or do stuff more efficiently. And I think that is all a good thing. But I go back to my original point that I think human written, reported, you know, recorded, whatever medium you're using, uh, stories, content will have real added value. And I think people should actually take some comfort and excitement from that. Yeah, definitely. I think... A couple of years ago, we talked about the proliferation of opinion content. Yep. Particularly with brands like The Telegraph. You know, I, The Telegraph does some great reporting. Certainly. The, 
The Telegraph does some horrendous opinion content. Um, well, but now yeah, I think... I mean, they wouldn't agree with that, and some of its readers <laughs> wouldn't agree with that, but it's fair enough for you to say it's not content, it's not opinion columns that you want to read. That's fine. Yeah, by basic standards of human decency also. But anyway, the point is... Again, your opinion, not the opinion of Telegraph editors and we're, readers. We're now back at, in a situation where those opinions, as long as they're based on proper journalistic standards, are way more important than they maybe were a couple of years ago because AI doesn't have an opinion. And when it does, it tends to sometimes get it wrong. Yes. Um, so, well, yeah, and also, the, the humanity is a really big deal. Yeah, and the prob- also when AI has an opinion, it tends to be opinions that are based on the already inputted opinions of straight white men who work on uh, AI algorithms and you know, may have been published more prominently, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think something that has been forgotten in the discussion about AI this year is that at the moment, at the moment, AI can only output what people have input. Yep. I think we've started to talk already like this. It is this autonomous, free-thinking beast. It is not the Borg yet. No, it's not. I think the best way I have to describe is it's a mimic. Yes. It, mim- it mimics other information. It synthesizes information that's already out there. And that's great. But as you've rightly pointed out, a lot of the information that's already out there comes from a particular place. And, you know, white middle class males predominate in that. Yeah. Um, um, so unless you, unless you tell it to go off and look specifically for different opinions, then yeah, it's a problem. Right. Uh, anyway, I discuss I've discussed this more in previous episodes as well. So do dive in. I think one prediction you and I can be confident in making for 2024 is that discussion of AI and development of AI within journalism and society more broadly not going anywhere, is it? Nope, not at all. Uh, you know, it's not. I, this is not a flash in the pan. This is not a classic publishing pivot. Not a classic publishing pivot. No, um, this is not the pivot to the, video. No, it's a hundred percent not. It's fundamental. Changes yeah. the way, not just journalism. It changes the way technology works. Uh, um, yeah, I entirely agree with you. And I think the conversation is going to shift, particularly with stuff that's going on with Google. Yeah. It's going to shift to money again. Always. How did publishers get paid for what they do? Uh, yeah, um, and how can things be actually fair, as opposed to giant tech platforms taking information they've played no part in create, generating? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Again, um, that idea of whether it's licensing, whether it's you know industry agreements or publisher-level agreements, there's going to have to be a reckoning there at some point. And maybe that sounds naive, but OpenAI, Microsoft, Google, anyone else, Amazon, whoever's doing it, they have a vested interest in supporting the ecosystem that creates that content. Yeah, but do they realise that? Um, I think they do. Okay. I think they realise it. It's whether they care enough 
at, at, at a level that delivers financial sustainability for publishers, yeah. it's the issue. And What's saw, that agreement going to look like? And we saw Meta obviously get increasingly disinterested in news over this year and previous years. Um, I think the other, obviously, one of the other big things, and this is, it's not so new this year, but it seems to have had more influence, I think, and you can disagree if you feel free, is the influence economy, the creator economy, feels to me has had a real big year, maybe become mainstream with certain people. And, you know, people are now realising they can, oh, you'll laugh actually, I was rereading yesterday A Thousand True Fans. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, yeah. Look, we could do a whole show on whether that's true or not. I mean, we won't do that now. And the lead up to Christmas, we're going to have a mince pie and a glass of mulled wine and move on with our lives. But I think it's interesting that this year about the sort of middle class of the creator economy, because not everyone can be Mr. Beast. And I think we've really started to see that this year, that people you think who are wildly successful on TikTok or YouTube because they have big numbers, there's... a Again, it all comes back to money, doesn't it? How are those people getting paid and being able to do it full time? Well, it's just a gig economy moved to content, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a good um, way of looking at it, yeah. I, think, I, I have to say I hadn't thought of it that way, but you are in lots of ways right. I, I think we've been talking for a long time, probably since Media Voices started, about the importance of niche content. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that's magazine publishers, newspaper publishers, podcasters, whatever it is, scale has been becoming less important and niche has becoming more important. And it's really working inside your chosen niche. Um, I, 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 we, we used to talk a lot about right sizing, you know, with an operation that's right sized for the market you're in. I think that right sizing now is probably smaller for some people you than think it so? used to be. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, so a great example, uh, Jacob Donnelly has just announced that he's leaving um, Morning Brew. Oh, yeah. To, to take a media operator, you know, fully. Yeah, yeah which I... And he does great work, and he's just him, right? I read it regularly, yeah. People like Casey Newton, who now have three or four people. Um, yeah, he's, he's got three. There's definitely a couple of them. Anyway, yes, you're right. He's expanded platformer. So you get to the point where that operation is delivering what some people would see as business critical information, but with a really small team. Yep. Um, and why would you... Why would you then adopt the infrastructure of someone like, I don't know, Bloomberg or, or Insider or whatever, if you don't really need it because you're so focused on that niche? And uh, I think that's where creators are really, really going to win, yep. is if they properly niche down. Yeah, we've really seen that this year, haven't we, actually, how valuable niche content has been and how hard it is to start a general news site. Look, the mess messenger is the one I've, I'm obviously thinking of, which I have to say, I've never been drawn back into it. I'm sure there were some good stories there. There were definitely some good reporters working there, but it hasn't really made the impact it wanted to. 
and it hasn't and i'm thinking of you know platform was a great example but there's other niche things where they have had success you know i realized that the information is 10 years old i oh, saw well, them posting about yeah. that right i saw them posting about that but that really was confident in what it was it wasn't trying to be mainstream in any way or you know look at uh, i have sean mcnulty from the ankler on the show that's really niche but it knows exactly what its audience is yeah. it knows what they'll pay for that content and it knows that its content has real, real value to that audience. And yeah. that's that we've really seen this year that you can build a business around a niche, but general is really hard. I haven't looked at the numbers on this, but if you look at our newsletter, yep. Daily, so it's a daily newsletter, four stories. Subscribe. All about media. Subscribe. <laughs> Tell people where to subscribe. Yeah. Like and subscribe. Uh, Voices.media, go there to Voices.media and you can subscribe. So in the past, we would have reported stories or we would have curated stories out of, I don't know, Pointer, um, yes. Media Guardian, Press Gazette. We still, we still include stories from those guys all the time, but increasingly recently, we've included stories from you. Or from Casey Newton. Yes, you have included me a From times. Jacob Donnelly or from Brian Morrissey or from, you know, the semaphore is an interesting one. I never look at the general news content on semaphore. I always read what Ben Smith and Max Tanney do on the media side because that's the stuff I really, really care about. But I don't look at what they're saying about, you know, whatever gaza or ukraine or the world economy but, it, or but like if that. you were a foreign policy wonk you would subscribe exactly. to that newsletter instead exactly so you it's that proper owning those niches i think is it's a really really big deal yes i i entirely agree and i think we've really seen this year that you can build business models around that well, here's an interesting one Nina patel at the verge has been talking a lot recently about you know how they really are committed to having a website you know newsletters are good but they're really committed to a website and owning their own content and i think and i'm sorry we are going to have to do elon musk brace yourself i'll give you 30 seconds or so to prepare but i think we really have seen the value this year that you have got to own your own content whether and that's you've got a website like you and i both our businesses have a website a blog and a newsletter and we own that we own both those things we own the email list i as it happens we both use different platforms but we own the email list because it's people that want to have a direct relationship with us and we own the websites that we can update you've even bought started building a lovely community forum on your website something that is your own and i think the media is starting to learn the lessons of being too committed to platforms so Substack obviously is a platform with all the benefits and issues that brings ease of use versus they could turn it off at any moment. And there might be people you don't also want to share a platform with on their kind of vibe, but Substack allows you to take your email list away anytime it's yours. That imp So yes, even if you lost your archive and I'm not sure you would, even if you that happened, you still can get back in touch with the people that care about your stuff. And that's really important because, you know, small uh, outlets like yours and mine, 
we're not going to build our own new bespoke websites and use as a platform. We're obviously going to have to use different things, but we still have to have something that you own. And we've really learned that this year, I think. Yeah, again, 100%. I think it's never going to be, it used to be all about the website, right? Absolutely. Like years and years ago. I'm obviously significantly older than most of you guys. Um, and websites were everything. And then it changed and we all started chasing scale on Facebook and Twitter and wherever else. Now, after being punched in the head so many times by one platform or another, um, I think people are starting to realize that, yeah, that real estate is really important. Um, and it, it's about the word community just gets beaten to death in this business but it is about gathering together your people your thousand true fans if you like <laughs> um, and giving them somewhere to go and, and giving them somewhere to go that they can find everything that you do so our website is a great example it is. You, can find our, you can find our newsletter you can find our podcast episodes you can find the analysis that we write and now you can find our community and it's all in one place. If you go to voices.media, it's all absolutely there. The design of their website, if you talk to Esther, she desperately wants to refresh it, but right now it's functional. And I think you, you're 100% right, it's owning those relationships. And we've, again, you know, we talked about this for years, first party data, whether that's because of cookies, whether it's because of relationship building, whether it's because of segmentation, doesn't really matter. The point is you've got options. And if you own the space, you own the relationship, then you've got options. And I think, you know, we're, we're at one end of that spectrum. But when you start thinking about the bigger publishers, you know, from, from the Telegraph and the Guardian and the FT, all the way through the futures and, and the insiders of the world, Owning that relationship is massively, massively yeah. important. And it, I think the platforms have proven again and again that they can't be trusted to to protect or not. Yeah, there's obviously the very interesting example of the new statesman consolidating its emails, newsletters, and moving them to Substack, yeah. which I find really interesting, but they seem to be doing quite well out of it, which is a very interesting example. Uh, the other one I was thinking of is TikTok. Loads of creators have built their whole brand and uh, business, essentially, on TikTok. And at any moment, the American government, the British government could have said, yeah. uh -uh, turning it off. And so, their businesses would have evaporated overnight. Interestingly, for the Grub Street Journal, or print publication. Pause. We're going to talk about print next. I just want to focus on this idea of platforms first. Well, it's relevant because we published, or I don't know what the right word does, put out our first TikTok yesterday. Right. Um, and I, you know, so we've we've got my granddaughter working with his work experience at the moment, and I'll tell them, you know, here's an opportunity, teach me about TikTok. And she did. And we put this one video out. Be right back, I'm I, just watching it. I've got to be honest, I don't really understand, other than the, other than it's about telling people that you're there, I still can't quite figure the business model of TikTok out. So 
Yeah, the idea of spending loads and loads of time putting TikToks out either for the grocery or for media voices or whatever. I just I'm not sure I see the value. But even more so when you know when the US government's got legislation going through that could shut it down at any minute. Yeah, it's it's an investment that I think is probably better spent elsewhere. Yeah, look, I have a TikTok channel. I put out odds and sods videos. I quite enjoy it. I enjoy I spend can definitely go into a scrolling rabbit hole of watching stuff. Um, I think it is hard to monetize. But the point is, even if you have been successful, actually, especially if you have been successful and monetized it, there is a risk, particularly with TikTok. I mean, all platforms ultimately come with this risk, but I think TikTok is the most obvious one, that people could turn it off at any point and you have to have something that you own. I mean, obviously, you could do YouTube shorts and YouTube the likelihood that anyone's turning off YouTube is pretty, pretty low. <laughs> but you still like those videos, you don't own that. Now, I get why you would use YouTube. I think people who want to create video content should use YouTube. Like there's no real discussion about it, but it's still a platform that isn't really yours. Well, it's always going to be about being where your audience is. Yes. So if you've got the right content, if you've got the audience, but increasingly it's also about then how do you own the relationship? Having the audience on YouTube or TikTok or Meta or wherever it was, was enough in the good old days, Yeah, which was about right. five years ago now. Or five um, minutes, I've lost track. <laughs> but now it's not enough. You've got, to, you've got to take people somewhere else. Okay, let's do it. Elon Musk, Twitter. Okay. Right. Elon Musk, Twitter. X. It's been one of the big stories of the year. Um, I I wrote recently how cross I am actually that Twitter has been bad, and I think it is vandalism. I think it's totally. No. I can do this. I don't care. I'm going to break this thing just because I can. Now I am not pretending for one minute that Twitter in the old incarnation was perfect in any way. I got quite fed up with it at various points. But, for example, I don't think you and I would know each other if it wasn't for Twitter. And my life, Peter, my life, Peter, would be poorer for that. Mine is much the richer for it. Right. And But the point is you could make connections there. You could get stories out there. You could get stories from it. Now, you and I, again, could do a whole show, uh, probably an extended edition, on all the ways Twitter was bad for journalism. Yeah because we all got too obsessed with finding stories on Twitter, not in the real world. We get that. But it did have some benefits, and sometimes it was fun, and we shouldn't pretend either of those things. But the way Elon Musk has behaved in 2023 has broken the whole thing, and actually I'm quite annoyed about it, and Twitter now is just... It, X is actually just... It doesn't even work technically. I think it's a mess when you try and use it, and it's just... I'm quite ashamed. I think it's quite a shame, really. Yeah, it's a, it's a crying shame. It's awful. And, you know, without getting too political, it's an indictment of the failures of late-stage capitalism. <laughs> One human being... Put the copy of Mark, the Communist much... Manifesto, Adam. Put it down. We're just talking. <laughs> they can have so much power based on one human being who, you know, his motivations are at best unfathomable. Yes, um, I can't quite. I can't quite work out why you'd spend so much money on something to break it. 
Yeah, it's crazy. But it, well, beyond so beyond what he's done to Twitter, I think there's an argument for. But we used to talk about it as Chris and I used to laugh about this a lot. We wanted Twitter nationalized. We wanted it to be treated. We wanted it to be treated as a public utility. Of course. Again, economics and politics of that aside, there was a there's a fundamentally important point of that is that it actually was a very important place for a certain level of social interaction. Social interaction again that that was very specialized, right? It could be very niche. You knew you knew the people that were there about talking about media or journalism. You knew the people that were there talking about I don't know King Sparks, King Charles Spaniels. You knew the people that were talking about particular interests that you had, and it was really easy to become part of again yeah. a, a community. The example I always use, obviously, is sport. And it could add a really valuable second screen experience. You know, I remember watching one of the World Cups, which was, I think it was the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, but I might be wrong. It might be later. And it was just really fun. It was a quite chaotic tournament, very exciting tournament. And people were just chatting about it as it was going on in real time. And that was really fun. And that's, you know, that's sort of been taken away. Now, we've got threads, of course, metas. I-, I love that Elon Musk has managed to make Mark Zuckerberg the good guy. I think that is a staggering... <laughs> like, I just think that is a staggering achievement. Uh, yeah, definitely. I hadn't actually thought about that, but yeah, 100%. Like, how ridiculous do you have to behave to make Mark Zuckerberg the good guy? Oh, God, what a time to be alive. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> I've 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 got a Threads account, obviously, but um, I don't particularly engage with it. I think it's interesting the way they're trying to push people to Threads through Instagram. Well, it's an Instagram product, technically. Yeah, but I think that's interesting that it's pretty much right at the top of your Instagram feed whenever you go on. So I think it will definitely grow. Will it become the new Twitter? <laughs> um, with all the bad and the good, I don't know. I really yeah, don't. I'm going to make you have another prediction here. Um, I think, well, I think what we'll see in 2024 is more fragmented social media, won't we? Yeah, definitely. Well, I spend most social media wise, I spend most of my time now on LinkedIn. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, well, LinkedIn is not the best place, it's great for talking about business it's great for talking about what you're doing and what you want people to do and sign up for and all those things if it's in a a, a business context but it's not a great it's not a great place to well like you just said you just said you and i develop this um communication and ultimately this relationship notice you didn't say friendship noted so that I don't think that that relationship would ever have developed through LinkedIn because it's too businessy, too yeah. well. Aside from that, as all the humble bragging and yeah, yeah. nonsense. That goes I on. think that thread is missing. That Twitter really did help develop. That was important to journalism in terms of source development. Was there's no direct messaging feature on 
on threads and that really did prove to be very important in journalism i think we shouldn't undervalue devalue what twitter did in that sense yeah and i think i don't i don't know where meta's going to end up calling the threads but i think there's a lot of work to be done to make it as useful yeah yeah. um they're obviously they're, they're obviously deeply conscious of replicating the mistakes of twitter you know abuse mm. and i understand that and i'm sort of grateful for that and they've shown very little interest in the news quite you know adam Asari, head of instagram has basically showed made it clear they're not that interested in it being a news platform now that's kind of happening on its own but it's taking a, a decent amount of it's not really broken through in the same way of that breaking news um and I think in 2024, social media in general is going to have, and journalism more broadly, is really going to have to think about the mistakes it's made in the past because we're going to have two elections. We're going to have a US presidential election. We're going to have the UK general election. I mean, actually, there are, I think I heard some, I think there are 50 elections taking place next year, but the ones that will be, um, you know, in different countries, but the ones because we're, you know, ignorant and cut off that we will pay most attention to are inevitably the US general election and the UK US presidential election, UK general election. Um, but you know, frankly, that we've seen disasters in other countries because of social media and that they're gonna have to be really careful. But there's gonna be a big, big test for these platforms to get that right and for journalists to behave responsibly on the platforms. I'm more confident in the journalists because i think they've taken such a pasting in the past yeah over you know not misreporting but well, some misreporting, some misreporting. Yeah, yeah true um i just my worry for the platforms is it's just too big a challenge mm. it's just really really hard to fix you know particularly if they're bad actors wherever they may be based wherever they may be based you know, I don't know, without naming specific countries like China or Russia. <laughs> um, wherever the bad if actors the come for this show, I'm sending them to you. <laughs> um, it's really hard if, if, you know, someone sets up a full-on disinformation, misinformation yeah. attack. I don't know how you keep up with that. No, I, I, I agree with you. It's... Um... It's going to be real test coming into 2024. And given what we've seen in 2023, there's a lot of work still to be yeah, done, Peter. Absolutely. I'm so pleased to have had you on the show. Um, let's touch on print quickly because it's a passion of yours. You produce a great magazine called The Grub Street Journal. That's carrying on in 2024, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, we've got an issue coming out uh, February, at some point in February. Nice. Um, we've done three issues to date. I think it's it's interesting that we've kind of brought it out at a time when, <laughs> if you look purely at the economics, it was the dumbest time in the world to launch a print magazine. Well, you, I should say that you've been on the show right when it launched talking about it. So go back and listen to that episode if you didn't listen to it at the time. Uh, you said the same thing then. <laughs> well, print costs have just been crazy. But there's this. Uh, people talk about it as a resurgence of yes. print. I don't think. I don't think it is a resurgence necessarily. I think it's just people have finally figured out that they can reinvent print. Well, um, I've. It's interesting. Last recent times, I've seen a lot of comparisons with 
between print and vinyl. And I don't know if that's a bit simplistic on in all senses, but I do think there is a thing where people have got so much in the digital world, they like are returning to liking physical things. There are there are parallels, but I hate absolutely hate that comparison for two reasons. One because it's um it doesn't take account of the fact that print magazines never went away. No. You know, there's publishers, commercial publishers still have up to 80% of their revenue coming from print. That's yeah. not me saying that. That's a statistical fact. Yeah. Um, uh, compared to vinyl, which 20 years ago-ish, there was no vinyl pro- commercial... Pro- there was no commercial... Pro- there was no commercial vinyl production in the world. Jesus, that was hard to say. <laughs> um, and and vinyls come back from zero to have, you know, whatever, 15, 16, 17 years straight growth. And the, the music companies have seen that, jumped on it and invested in it. Now, the narrative in publishing is the exact opposite. Yeah. It's uh it's it's basically running down the clock for print and publishing. Now where yeah. where that's changed this year and what I think is interesting is you've seen some publishers, Future is one, um the L in Australia is another, uh NME guys have all thought, oh, okay, we can reinvest in print. And that to me is is the story. It's that reinvestment, reinvention in a different kind of print. That's what's really interesting. Yeah, and I think there are some publications where print is really appropriate, yours and a higher, larger scale. You know, people want to see a gl- hold a glossy edition of Vogue. It's really appropriate. Yeah. I think, you know, some more generalist news things or whatever, probably not so appropriate. And that's okay. And you could, they can work really well digitally and be a really good, well invested in digital products. I think it maybe comes back to our conversation about niches. You know, again, Grub Street Journal really serves a real niche who are really committed to print, who will really appreciate a beautiful print product. But Media Voices, it would not be appropriate to have a weekly printed or monthly printed thing, but it works really well digitally. Yeah, completely. I think, you know, it does different things. Print is not better than digital. Digital is not better than print. They're better at doing different things. Um, Yeah, you wouldn't. Why would you do news in print? (laughs) With with huge love and respect to all the print newspaper guys out there. Um, By the time it's gone through the press, it's out of date. That's my personal instinct, yes. You know, okay, that's nice if you sit in Costa and you read The Guardian or The Times or The yeah. Telegraph or whatever your chosen paper is, The Independent or The... What is it? The Independence? The yeah, I, is actually... I think they're separate now. But, yeah. Um, if you want to sit there coffee and read that, great. That's, and a, what's that's the next... a decision. But what's the next thing you do once you've read it? You yeah. The news apps on your phone. Anyway, we could, I mean, I think we've now planned about four or five shows for next year with all the different topics hey. we've touched on. So I look forward to having you back then. Just quickly remind people where they can get all the great stuff you do, Peter. Uh, if you want to find anything to do with Media Voices, that's a newsletter, a podcast, a report, an annual report's just come out. 
any of the events we're doing or awards, podcast awards and newsletter awards and summit, then go to voices.media. If you want to find me, unfortunately, I'm on LinkedIn. So just search for Peter Houston on LinkedIn. And where can people buy Grub Street Journal? grubstreetjournal.com wonderful um i'm at charlotte a henry across charlotte uh social media or at shy henry on a couple of things um please head over to the edition.net where i update the blog you can sign up for the newsletter there which and you know download the podcast there which would be lovely if you just want the newsletter head over to newsletter.theedition.net and it would really start my new year on a high if you took out a paid subscription so if you fancy it Buy me a little Christmas present. It would make me very, very happy indeed. I, I want to round off the year actually by thanking readers and listeners. You've all been like 2023 has been ups and downs and it's been a strange year in media, but you've all been fabulous. I've got new subscribers. You've been sharing the stories and I really, really appreciate it. I can't tell you how much it means to have you on my email list and I look forward to doing more for you next year and I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.